In your corner, and we are right back at it. one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca. Lots of questions, lots of emails, lots of information to give out today, guys. So we'll uh, we'll dive right in. We always start with the week that was event. What do you got, Bill? Well, John, I have uh, a, a question that was posed to me by a listener. And, you know, this is a question that I actually get um, not very often, but it does come up. And it's an important question, and I want James' take on it as well. So this person emailed me and said, look, I was denied long-term disability by my insurance company. I am disabled. My doctors told me I can't go back to work, but the reality is that I need to put food on the table. I am the sole provider for my family, so I had to go back to work, and I've been working now for a few weeks. It's extremely difficult for me. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'll be able to continue, but I have to, I have to you know, like I said, put money, uh, food on the table, so I have to go to work. Uh, what do I do? Can you guys help me? And, you know, it's a very, very unfortunate situation because the person is clearly stuck, right? I mean, they need to provide for their family, but at the same time, if they're able to work, well, then in a way, the insurance company is correct in denying the claim because the person is able to work. The problem is, and, and this is what I see happen more often than not, is that people who do this end up failing. They end up uh, hurting themselves. And then at some point, they have to go off work again. And at this point, there may be complications because now they've made their situation worse. Contrary to medical advice, they went to work. So, you know, I I don't know what your take on is on this, James. But, I mean, we can't help someone who is working at the time that, that, uh, you know, they've been denied uh, disability. They are working. How can we help them? Well, I have a little bit of a different take on this. The way I see it, and I think this would hold up if this were to ever go to court, if somebody has a disability, a condition that uh, would otherwise prevent them from working, and even if they are technically able to show up to work and get the job done for some finite period of time, if if going to work is actively making that condition worse and going to lead to something more permanent or a uh, more resistant condition, that person's disabled. I don't think there's much question about that. So I don't think the insurer would be right in those circumstances to have forced this person back to work. And I think that would be challengeable and still would be, frankly, if the person at this point decided, I can't do this anymore, I need my benefits, and I'm going to bring a legal claim. I think that would hold up from my perspective. But I think the the broader concern here is what do you do if you're in that if you're in that situation, if you need money and you don't have anything coming in because you're not working and your insurer isn't paying you, what do you do? Our job as lawyers is to provide legal advice. We don't get involved in the medical decisions or in the decisions that are personal decisions. We need to know what's happening. So in other words, if you are getting if you are getting certain treatment or if your doctor is saying that it's okay to go back to work, it's not a, up to us to throw our two cents in and say, oh no, you shouldn't go back to work even though your doctor says okay, or even vice versa. We need to know what's happening, but that's a decision that you have to make with your medical team, and it's a personal decision as well. It isn't something that you need our permission for. You always have to make whatever is going to be the best decision for you and for your family, and that is always going to be the case, and I say that to virtually every single client that walks in my door or calls me on the phone. And so the answer is simply this. you know, If you need to put food on the table, if you need to, to earn money, and you are somehow able to do it, even if it's making you worse, and you are prepared to risk making your condition worse because you need to do that, then so be it. As long as you are aware of what the consequences are, then so be it. It's a very unfortunate situation. If you can't do that, or if you have an alternative, then you should do the alternative. 
And the alternatives aren't necessarily great alternatives, but there are other things out there. There is government assistant programs, whether it's EI, CPP disability, or ODSP. You can ask your friends or family for a loan. Um, it is something that people do not want to do, and that's understandable. But it is a. It's not the last. It's not the last. Um, the, the last thing that you want to do. It's maybe the second last thing that you want to do. The last thing you want to do is go back to work when you are not medically capable of doing it, and doing so is going to make you worse. But whatever your situation is, make the best decision based on your circumstances. My concern is, I agree with everything you say, but my concern is when I see a case like this or a situation like this is that if we then get involved and by the time we try to resolve the claim, let's say three months from now, four months from now, the person continues to work, every day that passes emboldens the insurance company. The insurance company comes back and says, yes, you you can say whatever you want. Your doctor can say whatever you want, but clearly this person is working. So I, you know, I agree with you. It's a very difficult situation. And, and you know, that reminds me of another person that emailed me this week uh, who was asking if they could switch over to our firm. And, of course, I had that discussion with them as to whether it makes sense. Right. And, and, you know, get this. I'm just going to give you just a very, very brief facts here. Uh, this person is clearly disabled. Uh, I'm not going to go into their conditions, but they started an LTD claim four years ago. They didn't, actually. Their lawyer had started four years ago and apparently there's no end in sight yet huh. it's it's mind-boggling i actually had to reread that email twice and, and ask a few follow-up questions it was crazy to me and i think that's one of the things that you know we do somewhat differently than many lawyers that we come across is that we understand the the emergent situation here the the you know how, how important it is for the, for individuals to get money in because they have you know obligations at home they many of them have children and they have spouses or other dependents we understand that, which is why when somebody comes to us, we deal with the matter immediately. It does not sit on a shelf. We move it as fast as possible through the process to get a resolution. we got lots more on the way, guys. We'll take a uh, short break as we get into uh, our first segment here and gone. Uh, you want to reach out, ask some questions of your own, one 821 5900 Email is simply help at inyourcorner.ca. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. This is in your corner to reach out, James or Savan, or member of the team. Simple one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred email with which we uh, will be pulling from today. A little later on, help at inyourcorner.ca. James, you got something to say? Sure. Yeah. Virtually every show, we wind up talking at some point or another about appeals, and yep. we're going to do that now. <laughs> when I speak to a new client, somebody who has been denied or been cut off their benefits by their disability insurer. They always want to know about the appeal process and whether or not that's something that they should do. And we, of course, always recommend that you do Mm -hmm. not. The idea is what most, the perception most people have when they come to the process is that the insurance company simply doesn't understand that, you know, if they really just got a more clear letter from their doctor, that surely they would see that their claim is legitimate and they should be paid the benefits. So I had a woman call me last week that really illustrates why that's just simply not the case. So this is a woman who is suffering from anxiety and depression, and her doctors are all in agreement that she is not able to work, that her condition is severe enough that she simply should not be in the work environment. It is making her worse to try and force her to do that. The issue is that in her past, she had a substance abuse problem, and it's not something she's denying, but it is quite in her distant past. In fact, it was more than 12 years ago. Unfortunately, when she went to an assessment quite recently, the psychiatrist 
put an incorrect statement in there that the substance abuse had actually been up until quite recently, in fact, within this past year. That was just simply a misstatement. It was someone who hadn't been treating her for a number of years. In fact, it was someone, the psychiatrist had only seen her on one occasion and simply got it wrong. It was just an inadvertent error, and it's easily correctable. Unfortunately, the insurance company gets that directly from the psychiatrist as part of the package and denies the claim on that basis because very often there is language in the policy that makes it very difficult to be approved if you have a substance abuse issue and you're not getting active treatment. This was a mistake. It was not something that was current. It was well in her past. That was well documented in her family doctor's clinical notes and records. There's really no dispute about it. And when she got this denial, the initial denial from her insurer, she went back to the psychiatrist that had written this incorrect statement in the assessment and said, listen, this is just incorrect, and here are my family doctor's notes, and this just hadn't happened. And the psychiatrist said, sure, no problem, and wrote an addendum correcting his mistake, sent it to the insurance company. Surely now there is no issue. Everyone is in agreement that she is disabled, and the reason for denial had nothing to do with her level of disability. It was simply that they thought that she had a substance abuse condition. Now they know that she doesn't. Clearly they will approve, right? Wrong. Wrong. Wrong, of course. No, they denied the appeal as well, too. So now she's wasted time and has to bring a claim in order to challenge that. So the point is really this. If you are feeling as though your insurer just doesn't get it, that they just don't understand, and that just one more report is going to make the difference, think again. It isn't that they don't understand. They are just looking for any excuse. And even if they have all of the information and it is very clear, it is more likely than not that you're still going to be denied. They understand. They know what they're doing. It is quite intentional and deliberate. And, and you know, John, uh, on this point, both James and I have seen situations where not only are they clearly aware that the person should be uh, disabled, but you know, when we dig into the insurance company's file down the road, when we start a legal claim and they have to produce that to us, we sometimes even see internal correspondence, internal communications within the insurance company where that's being discussed. You know, and I've seen this in situations where people are suffering from cancer and are suffering from other types of illnesses where it's absolutely crystal clear that the person should qualify for LTD. But the insurance company is playing a numbers game. They're assuming that if they deny 10 claims, nine claimants will walk away and never say anything about it. And so the insurance company is left holding the bag of money that's owed to each one of these nine other individuals. Well, you know, where I actually see this come up the most is with mental health claims, anxiety, depression, PTSD in particular. And there are statistics that will show that about 50% of the claims have a primary diagnosis of a mental health issue. And even of the remainder, I think about half of the remainder have a secondary diagnosis of mental health issues. And it is in the mental health claims where I see inappropriate denials far more frequently because it's not black and white. It's often not based on objective measures. Sometimes it is, but even then you still see denials. And here's the thing. you know, If you get denied by your insurance company and you're already suffering from anxiety and depression and you have no money coming in, how do you think it's going to be, what do you think it's going to do to your health, to your mental state, if you now try to take on the task of fighting the insurance company on your own? No kidding. It doesn't help. Listen, I'm not a doctor, but I guarantee you no doctors are going to tell you that it's a good idea to take that task on on your own. Just exacerbate your, your problems, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Guys, we'll take a short break. If you've ever wondered if there's a uh, you know an advantage to having a uh, legal team represent you when it comes to a denial 
uh, for your long-term disability. Yeah, there's a massive advantage. In fact, we'll get to the top three advantages after a, a short break. one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. We'll get to a ton of emails as well. So stand by. That's all on the way on In Your Corner on Global News Radio. In your corner, reach out. You know the number, one 821 5900 Get a hold of Savannah James, member of the team. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email, which we're going to bounce over to uh, very shortly. So have those uh, ready for us. Yours might be on the air in just a few minutes. Yeah, guys, having legal representation when it comes to being denied or caught off LTD. Top three advantages. I know you got to narrow them. There's a ton. We talk about them every week. We have for years, so people know. But just in case, what are your top three? What do you think? Well, so I'm going to start this off. And by the way, I I prepared this. I'm sure James is going to have other thoughts about this because you're right. There are many advantages. There are also disadvantages, not only if you do it on your own, but if you choose the wrong lawyer. And I want to mention that at the end, at least one of them. So the first one that came to mind for me is something that James was just talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that if you're handling a claim on your own, especially if you're dealing with a mental health issue or illness, it's only going to exacerbate your condition. You're going to get worse. Your psychologist or psychiatrist will probably tell you that. Uh, and one of the main advantages of having us represent you is that we take over all communications, all correspondence, all interactions between you and the insurance company now has to go through us. They're not allowed, once we go on record that we represent you, they cannot call you. They right. cannot uh, email you. They cannot send you a letter. Everything has to come to us. And yet, and, 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 and then at that point, we decide how to respond and we decide what we need from you in order to respond so you know that's a major major issue imagine that you know before having us on board representing you you are fully exposed you know to the firepower of the insurance company and after we get in there and after we take over that's it you now can uh, I'm not going to say rest, but you can focus on your health, focus on getting better. Let us deal with the insurance company. Let us take the fight to them. And you know, John, I can't tell you how many times I have uh, met with individuals, with spouses of individuals who are disabled. And after the meeting, after I've explained all their options and everything we can do for them, and after they've decided to retain us, the biggest thing for them wasn't even the fact that we, you know, that I would tell them that I can recover hundreds of thousands of dollars that's owed to them. The biggest thing is that they didn't have to deal with that adjuster anymore. They didn't have to get those phone calls that would, you know, raise their heart rate by, I don't know, 100 beats a minute. Uh-huh. It, for them, it was a major, major thing to have us deal with the insurance company. And they understood as well from my conversation with them, not only would we be dealing with the adjuster, we would be pushing back aggressively and aggressively enforcing their legal rights. Right. Nothing to say, eh, James? Not coming back with that one? Well, no, no, I, I, I completely agree with right. that. I mean, it, that goes without saying. Uh-huh. It is the first thing that we hear is just this sense of relief. And actually, you know, to me, that is that sense of relief, it's a much broader sense than just ha- not having to communicate with the insurer. Certainly, that is a big element, especially for people who have the misfortune of having an adjuster who's very aggressive right. or even bullying. Um, but for other people, you know, they find their adjuster to be perfectly pleasant, and it's not really so much about, you know, the communications with the insurer. It's about what is happening with their claim. That's a huge issue for them. Mm. And so knowing that it's in the hands of a capable lawyer is also a huge sense of relief, knowing that, okay, this thing that seemed to be off the rails is now headed in the direction I want it to be headed in is a nice thing for them. It gives them a sense of relief and you know, a feeling that they don't have to focus their energy on that anymore. 
And the other part of it is, and you know, this is something I think that you're going to touch on when you go through your, the rest of your points, is understanding you know what's actually gone on, what they don't know, what the insurance company has been doing, and the ways that they've been mistreated by the insurance company. We find all that out when we get their file down the road, and that's something that actually gives them a sense of relief too, because you know they are under the misconception that you know they're confused somehow because they know that they're disabled, but somehow this insurance company that has all of this information is telling them that they're not. And it isn't until you get the entire file and you're able to see exactly how they've processed all of this information and the mental gymnastics that they go through to try and justify denying claims that should obviously be approved, that they're able to really see, okay, I'm not crazy here. I am disabled and they know it and they're just pretending otherwise because they don't want to pay. All of those things taken together is a huge weight taken off the shoulders of virtually everybody who comes and talks to us and signs a retainer agreement. All of these things are things that will weigh on them unless they do something about it. Number two, advantage of having legal representation for a denial legal claim. What do you think? Number two, John, is we know what legal pressure points we can we can apply. Uh, we know how to get at the insurance company at the heart of the uh, reason for denial, how to push back and how to basically boomerang those reasons back to them and force them to pay. Now, you know, the, the analogy that I will give you is that, you know, if you have an illness, you're going to go to a doctor or somebody that yep. can treat that. Treat this disability denial as an illness. You don't want to deal with it on your own. You need somebody who has expertise in the area. Now, not only has James and I uh, have worked for insurance companies in the past, so we actually understand the internal processes of how insurance companies make decisions and where to hit them, where it hurts, to force them to the table. Uh, but, you know, through years of years of representing individuals out there against insurance companies, the one thing that I can tell you really strikes me is that it is actually not a difficult thing to force an insurance company to pay you what you are owed. Again, there is this illusion out there for uh, individuals that they think that these insurance companies, these behemoth corporations mm-hmm. worth billions of dollars of, of, of dollars, uh, it, it, they have so much firepower, so many defense lawyers, firms that they can go to. But remember, they don't want to spend that money. They don't. And, and you know, the one thing that they, that they have uh, on their side is they have this illusion that they throw in your face. And, and most people out there believe that, in fact, they have no recourse. So, again, all these insurance companies, they're, they're pressure points uh, that we know how to apply, what to apply. We understand the inner workings of insurance companies. And that leads me to my third point, which is that the advantage of having us on your side, starting a legal claim as opposed to you trying to deal with the insurance company, is that it allows us through the legal process to get their complete file. That allows us then to see the guts of the internal decision-making process that insurance companies go through when they deny your claim. And that allows us then to pick what we need and, and again, boomerang that against them and force them to the table to pay you. Okay, guys, we'll take a uh, quick pause here. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Email, yeah, help at inyourcorner.ca. Check it out, send an email, and we'll get to some more of those later on in the show. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. And back with In Your Corner, it is help at inyourcorner.ca. That is the email address, the phone number, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The advantages of having legal representation. When denied uh, your long-term disability claim, James, you had something to add at the end. I do. I, I have a number four here. And okay. this isn't a something that would apply generally to all firms, but specifically to ours. We recently um, hired a lawyer that was very senior 
with one of the insurance companies doing disability work, and she's come over and she's working with us now. And that provides us with a huge advantage. There's institutional knowledge that she has. Things that even though Savannah and I worked on the defense side, it was, in fact, a number of years ago, um, and neither of us worked on the disability side of it, mm-hmm. even though you know we're certainly aware with how it, with how it functions. Um, she did, and this is someone who is working with us closely um, on many files. And so the knowledge that is gained with, within the firm as a whole is an enormous advantage, not just as opposed to other you know, lawyers that are practicing in, in the field on, on, on our side, but it's a huge advantage when we're up against the insurance companies, especially the one that she used to work for, who we won't name right now. But it is a huge advantage that we have going forward. And you know, it's something that provides our clients with a significant edge right out of the gate. You want to use something else, www.mydisabilityquestions.com. Tell me a little bit about it, pal, before we get to an email. That's a free website, yep. and, and it's been up for a few years. It allows people who have questions about their long-term uh, disability claims or their friends or just general questions about long-term disability. You have a question, you want it answered for whatever reason. You don't want to call us. You don't want to email us directly. Go to the website, post your question, and I will answer it within minutes for free. Chances are your question has already been asked and answered before, uh, so you can actually browse through the history of all the questions and answers. But if it hasn't, go ahead, post your question, and I will answer it for free. Now, John, before we go on to the next thing, remember I said when you were talking about the advantages of hiring us or hiring a disability lawyer uh, to help you with your disability claim, I said at the end, I wanted to mention the disadvantage of hiring the wrong lawyer. No, we've already talked about the disadvantages of you doing it by yourself, appealing which again, as James pointed out, is a useless process and in fact a negative experience for most people. But here's the thing, you can, uh, by mistake, I'm not saying anybody does this intentionally, hire the wrong lawyer. Maybe you think that you need somebody who lives uh, you know, three houses down from you who uh, tells you that they do disability law but they actually don't know anything about it. Well, listen to this, a few weeks ago I get an email from, uh, from a lady I'm not sure if I if I shared that with you, James. Uh, a, a lady who, again, inquired about us helping her with her disability claim. She had a lawyer or has a lawyer, uh-huh. uh, put a qualifier there, but that lawyer had recently been, I think, disbarred or, or suspended from the law society. Jeez. Now, okay, be that as it may, that maybe we can help her with her disability claim. I don't know what's been done on the file. I have no idea if, if the correct things were happening or not. How do you think the insurance company views that lady's case? If that lawyer didn't know what she was doing and that lawyer made mistake on the file, mistakes on the file, just imagine how the insurance company is approaching that claim. They're probably thinking that they can get rid of it for just Weak. a change, right? And again, that makes me remember cases that I used to defend when I used to work for insurance companies over a decade ago uh, where I would have on the other side lawyers that I would know by reputation or experience that they didn't really know what they were doing or were not serious or certainly would not take a case all the way right. if they needed to. And I would tell my insurance client back then, listen, we can get rid of this file that's worth two hundred grand for $10,000. So you have to be very, very careful that if you are represented by someone, that that someone has a solid reputation in the field. Because guess what? The insurance company is going to check up on this lawyer. Chances are they know about that lawyer. If they don't know about that lawyer, that's already bad news. If they know about that lawyer, you want them to be to have respect for that lawyer. You, 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 yeah. you want the insurance company to, to be afraid of that lawyer. Because if they're not, they're not going to pay you what you are owed. And you will never know. I, I can tell you from my experience doing defense work that when I would see 
counsel on the other side, I would broadly categorize them into one of three buckets. And the first is someone who knows what they're doing, someone who is appropriate for that particular area of law and who would be able to do well for their client. The second is someone who works for a firm that is certainly competent to work in that area, but you don't know much about them. They're either young or they're new to that area. That's a question mark. And the third is someone who clearly does not work in that area and is not likely going to be someone who is going to be competent to do so. Now, that doesn't mean that they've never worked in the area that they're going to be bad at it, and there are exceptional lawyers that can move from field to field and still be reasonably competent and will certainly seek outside help to make sure that they are. But those are a rarity. For the most part, somebody who isn't practicing, especially when we're talking about disability law or motor vehicle law, is just not going to be competent to do it. And so the first thing that you know the, the insurer is going to do is figure out which of these buckets the lawyer is going to fit in. And that is largely going to determine how they treat that claim going forward. And if you're in one of the bottom two buckets, it's a much tougher road. Now, if you're in that second bucket, the question mark bucket, you know, there are things that the lawyer might do to show the insurance company, hey, listen, I know what I'm doing, and that could change the scenario. But more often than not, unless they know who you are, unless you're a known entity to the other side and you're known to be competent, you're not going to get the same kind of results as somebody in a different bucket. And if you're in bucket number three, you know, do they not put a smaller reserve off the top? They do. They do. Insurance companies operate on reserves. Uh, And what does that mean? It means that they put aside a certain amount of money that they are willing to pay for your claim. So let's say, John, that you're injured or you're disabled, and for whatever reason, they think that your claim is worth the value of of that claim from a money standpoint is $100,000. Okay. And then you, John, go and get somebody from bucket number three. Well, then the adjuster handling the file, recognizing your name and that you're in bucket number three, uh, not the best lawyer out there, not the best reputation, they're going to say, you know what? The reserve just went down to $20,000. Yeah, 20 bucks. <laughs> sure. Ham and, sandwich. And, 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 but the reality is that that's what they'll do. Right. But, but actually, I think the more significant thing here is, yes, it's going to be much harder to get that higher number down the road if you ever get there. But the chances of ever getting there are much, much smaller because- right. If the other side has someone that the insurer knows doesn't know what they're doing, it's just going to collect dust. The The insurance lawyer is not going to care about that file unless you make them care about it. And if you don't know what to do in order to light a fire under their butt, then it's just going to sit there. It's going to be at the back of their filing cabinet, and they're never going to communicate on it. And if the lawyer who has the file doesn't know what they're doing, they're not going to know how to push it forward. Right. And you're going to be three, four years down the road and have nothing to show for it and be no further ahead. So John, I can actually tell you that I remember one time uh, when I was working for the insurance company years and years and years ago, uh, that we had a claim come up and I suggested that the insurance company reserve, uh, I think it was about $200,000 for that okay. claim. And and then when I saw who the lawyer was on the file, that lawyer has since retired, but it was one of the best lawyers, personal injury lawyers in the country. Uh, and I told the insurance company, I know the file is worth 200000 but you need to reserve 500000 wow, if okay. you want to settle it. Otherwise, that lawyer will take it all the way, and it's going to cost you just as much in legal fees. So here's a situation where just because of that lawyer's name and the resources of that firm, I was advising back then my insurance client uh, to actually pony put up a, the dough. It, more than the file was actually worth. Wow. I'm so kidding. again, remember, who you choose may dictate the amount of money that ends up in your pocket. Email address, help at inyourcorner.ca, and the phone number, write it down. If you haven't, 1-855-821-5900. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio.
In your corner and help at inyourcorner.ca, the email address, 1-855-821-5900. Vasily, I know you've been waiting. Here it is. Your email is about to be uh, be covered by the guys here. As follows, uh, Vasily says, my wife is a teacher and was on long-term disability for just over a year. She told me that her benefits would expire in November because she reached the two-year mark, but her psychiatrist says that she's not ready to go back to any type of work at this point. She's 55. Her union said that she could appeal this decision. Should we try letting them appeal at first before starting a legal claim? We still have some time until, not a lot, but some time until November. So a, a few things to discuss here, Vasily. First of all, don't appeal. I've already discussed this ad nauseum at the top of the show. Happy to do it again, but very simply put, you don't want to appeal. It's a waste of your time. All that's going to happen is that the insurer is going to come to the exact same conclusion they've already come to. They know what's happening unless there is something that fundamentally changes their understanding. Not just another letter from your doctor that says, no, no, it's really, really bad. If it's something that is just reemphasizing what they already know, nothing is going to change. And, you know, that your union is suggesting it is not terribly surprising. And I'm not saying this to demean unions in any way. Generally speaking, though, unions are not there to handle disputes in long-term disability. And rarely, if ever, do they have people who really understand how long-term disability works and what you should do when you're denied or cut off of your benefits. So, no, I definitely would not appeal. The one thing that they've done that's a bit of a favor to you is they've given you some advance warning. We know that your wife is going to be cut off in November, which gives you a few months. And so we can bring a claim now. It's called anticipatory breach. So they've told you um, that they're going to be cutting your wife off in a few months. We can start the claim now, get the process started, and get to a resolution a few months faster than you would if you wait until the benefits stop coming in. Now, it still may be the case that there are a few months where you're not getting paid and we haven't resolved it yet, but that period of time where you don't have money coming in is going to be much, much shorter if we start the claim now, and that's exactly what you should do. Yeah, I agree 100%. And John, oftentimes when the insurance company tells you they're going to cut you off, it's not It's not from uh, now and uh, a few weeks from now. Generally, they give you several months worth of, of a heads up. Uh, and people do think that during that time, they can convince the insurance company to reverse their position. I have yet to see that happen. <laughs> it's happened a few times when we interjected and, and we got into the picture and the insurance company understood that that was going to be a problem for them. In other words, it was going to cost them more to fight us than to uh, continue paying the individual. But generally speaking, if you are told in advance that you will be cut off, do not wait. Trust me, the the uh, train tracks aren't going to end at that point when they told you it's going to end. And at that point, you're going to be uh, shocked because you, know, you won't understand what's happening despite the fact that they give you a heads up. So don't wait. As soon as you're told it's going to get cut off, the benefits will get cut off, give us a call or email us at the very least so you can get some information in terms of how to proceed. 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Garth up next. He says, my wife was rejected for long-term disability over a year ago. She appealed twice and was rejected both times. Meanwhile, she applied and was approved for CPP disability. How can that be when she was approved for CPP disability and rejected total of three times by her LTD insurer? Because insurance companies will reject you for absolutely any reason. No matter how disabled you are, no matter how much medical support you have, no matter if CPP disability, which is a more difficult test to meet, uh, that they've approved you. 
uh, again, I mean, we've seen this time and time again. Garth, what what your wife needs to do, and unfortunately she's already wasted some time with these appeals, uh, is is have us deal with this because we can probably resolve this claim very, very quickly. This is not going to take years. It, it's not. And in fact, we probably, I would say, would have been able to resolve this claim by now had she come to us when she was first rejected. Uh, or, or denied. So again, for people out there, don't go through this appeals process, as James put it. Uh, and especially in a case like this, John, when his you know, wife was already approved for CPP disability, this is crazy to me. It's crazy to anybody listening that the government would agree that you are disabled, and yet your insurance company will say you're not. It makes zero sense. So again, uh, Garth, we can help your wife. It's not going to take long to resolve this claim. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we couldn't help before, right. but at least now you've contacted us. We can get in the picture and we can do something about it. Sandy, you're up next. Stand by. We'll get to your email and you want to send one along anytime for that matter is help at inyourcorner.ca. If you haven't checked it out, mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a place where you can uh, throw your questions on. There's a high probability that has been answered in depth. If not, uh, leave it there. It will be answered in short order by either James or Savannah, a member of the team. Again, my disabilityquestions.com and the phone number 1-855-821-5900 in your corner continues right here on global news radio 1-855-821-5900 is the number it's help at uh, in your corner.ca for email address sandy is up says i was in an accident last year and i just recently applied for long-term disability i'm getting treatments from my doctor and clinic that he recommended but my long-term disability insurance company keeps pushing me to switch clinics even though the types of treatments in the clinic they are recommending, they're the same. Do I have to switch to their clinic? The adjuster from the insurance company keeps insinuating that if I don't switch, ooh, my benefits will be cut off. Let's not overcomplicate this. The answer is very simply a hard no. They cannot force you to switch clinics. You're entitled to choose whoever your treatment providers are going to be. And that can be based on any criteria you want as long as whoever is giving you the treatment is qualified to give you whatever the treatment recommended is. The insurance company cannot step in and say, no, no, don't see this person, see our person instead. And in fact, you really want to avoid that situation. Even if you are in a circumstance where there is new treatment that has been recommended, let's say even by your family doctor, and the insurance company says, okay, well, we have someone who's really great for this kind of therapy. You should probably think about going to see them. That seems a little bit more innocuous because it's not they're not asking you to change providers. They're asking that this new treatment be done with someone that they're recommending, which seems like it's you know at least a little bit better. You're not being forced to stop getting treatment from someone you already have a, a relationship with and right. that you already trust. But you need to be very careful even in that scenario because there's a reason why the insurance company is suggesting this particular clinic or that particular clinic. At the very least they know that the results are going to be at least neutral, if not favored towards the insurance company. And if they find people that are you know, that are supporting disability on an ongoing basis, that are coming back to them and writing reports saying, oh no, this person is truly disabled, they can't go back to work. And if they find that too often, they're just not going to send people to them in the future. So question, what types of clinics are on the roster for insurance companies that they're asking you to see? And the answer is probably obvious. So you should be finding your own treatment providers in every case where it's practical. 
If you can't do it, fine, get the treatment that you need, but really whenever possible, look for your own solution. Ask your family doctor or ask any other health professional that you're dealing with that has referred you to this other therapy or, or whatever the treatment is to provide a recommendation that is not coming from the insurance company. You know, John, I've I've done chiropractic myself, and and I mean, I haven't applied it. I've had right. it applied to me, yeah. massage, and you know, physio as well after injuries. And I can tell you, it's a very personal choice which practitioner I choose to oh, yeah. put their hands on me. And uh, I, I, I'm not comfortable with everyone. And and you know, to think that Sandy would be forced to uh, switch to another clinic. I, I remember uh, this one gentleman contacting me. This was about a year ago or so. And he did just this. He ended up, before contacting me, actually switching to a clinic that was recommended by the insurance company. Uh, and it, it was for, uh, I think it was for chiropractic. And he liked his chiropractor from before. And then he went to this new clinic and he found this person very abrasive. And he found this person uh, very unsympathetic to no his situation. Matter. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, so he ended up leaving that chiropractor, going back to his old one. Meanwhile, that chiropractor that he didn't like that the insurance company recommended he go to ended up reporting in his notes, which were produced subsequently to the insurance company, uh, that in that chiropractor's opinion, the person was not as functionally disabled as as uh, he he was saying that he was, as as, as the, the good chiropractor that he liked said that he was. So again, you have to be very, very careful. What is the agenda behind the insurance company wanting you to go to a specific clinic to a specific practitioner? I think we have time for uh, one more quick email here, guys. comes from Liam. Liam says, my wife has schizophrenia, but her symptoms come and go. So her LTD insurer cut her off, saying that she can work. Her psychiatrist and family doctor both agree that she cannot work. She's an airline attendant. The insurance adjuster just says that their consultation, uh, their consultant rather, disagrees with my wife's psychiatrist. But every time I ask about this consultant, the adjuster doesn't want to share any of the information about them or give me any uh, written reasons from this consultant. What can we do? Well, Liam, this is, first of all, not uncommon for us to see. Um, you know, whenever we see an insurance company using a consultant, uh, I mean, what does that mean? Is that a doctor? Is that somebody who has a specialty in that area that you're dealing with? Clearly, you know, your wife has a psychiatrist. It's, it's not a doctor. No, it, I agree with you. I agree with you. But <laughs> my it, point is that we don't know. If right? it were a doctor, they would say doctor. In other words, and any other occasion they use euphemism that's meant to make you think it's a doctor but it's a consultant or a medical health specialist or (laughs) something like that which makes you think oh this is a person that knows what they're doing if they don't say doctor it isn't you can be almost certain of that all right uh (laughs) i don't disagree my point is that the, the point is that you don't know and 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 certainly you are within your rights or your wife is within her rights to ask for information about that individual since the insurance company is making a decision based on that person. The problem is that you actually can't force, and I mean that you you cannot force the insurance company to provide you with this information. You can't. Mm. On your own, you can't. If we start a legal claim because your wife was cut off her payments or was denied her disability, once we start that legal process, now there is a legal uh, legal rules that apply, and, and one of those legal rules is that the insurance company must, under the law, provide us with their file, and their file must contain all of this information. So we're actually going to get that. We can give that to you, but once we get that, we can then use that against right. the insurance company, again, to force them 
to the table to pay you or your wife what she's owed. Incidentally, this highlights yet another reason not to appeal, because when you appeal, right. you don't get that you don't get that insurance file, and essentially you're flying blind. You don't have the information that you need to really show exactly what they've done and why it's wrong. Okay. Um, you know, you're, you're doing this with the insurance company anyway, so they probably know. But as long as they are aware that you don't know what they've done, they're not going to move at all. And why should they? Guys, we'll uh, we'll wrap it uh, there for this show. You want to reach out uh, any further? One eight five five eight two one help at inyourcorner.ca. Again, anytime you want to try it, mydisabilityquestions.com. Your questions will be answered rather quickly. There's uh, there's quite a history of questions being asked, so we'll go through some of those, and maybe it's been asked and answered in depth already. But either way, try it when you uh, you got some time. Mydisabilityquestions.com. This is in your corner. We'll see you again on our next show right here on Global News Radio.